Welcome to the Sister Sunday School class at Anchor Bible Church in Hull, Georgia. My name is Sharon Black, and I am very uh, privileged to get to share these few podcasts with you. Our series right now is Christianity versus World Religions, or Jesus versus the other guys. That's like I, what I like to call it um, in a casual setting. So this is our fourth session. We started out looking at Christianity. It's important to review what we believe, what the Bible says about God, about Jesus Christ, about Scripture, in order to, as we move forward, in order to compare the other world views and the other world religions to Christianity, we wanted to get a good foundation. So this is our last session on Christianity, and um, I'm going to just quickly review a couple of things and then move ahead. I hope you'll look back at our first three podcasts on this subject matter um, just to catch up but I'm going to pick up where we left off after a a quick review. So the last time we got together, we talked about um, how every worldview, every world religion has a sort of a source of information, a a source of um, divine revelation, if you will, although some of the worldviews don't acknowledge a God. Um, In Christianity, we have both general revelation and special revelation. General revelation, according to scripture, is creation, God's universal revelation about himself and morality that can be seen in nature, as well as our conscience. God created man, humankind, with a conscience. Now, there is some scripture to indicate that there is a time after which egregious sin has been committed over and over again and and hostile rejection of God over and over again. There's a scripture that talks about our conscience being seared, but God has given us a sense of right and wrong, um, our conscience. Um, It is fallen, but it is still there. And so between God's universal revelation through through creation and through our conscience, we can see God even without special revelation. The special revelation comes in the form of scripture. Let's look at a couple of scriptures on general revelation. What does the Bible say about creation, about our conscience? Um, Let's look first at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. I'm going to read some scriptures to you, um, just because these are so important. Starting with verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. That's pretty hard. That's a hard scripture. We talked about that in class. And um, I just, I expressed to the class, and I don't mean to um, put something in scripture that's not there, but because of this scripture and some of the others that we'll read, I firmly believe that if someone is in the deepest, darkest jungle, as we like to express it sometimes in Christianese, if someone is out there somewhere and they look around and they go, there must be a God. There must be a creator for all of this. The 
intricate details in a butterfly or a bird or the clouds or a rain, just whatever it is that speaks to them. They look around, there must be a God and they call out to God and say, I want to know who you are. Reveal yourself to me. I firmly believe that God, because of the way he's revealed his character in scripture, will absolutely send someone chopping through the jungle or wandering through the urban city streets or wherever that person is, I firmly believe if they call out to God based on what they can see and what they can sense and know that God will find that per- will send someone to talk to that person. I believe that with every fiber of my being because that is who God is. That is how he has revealed himself in scripture. Um, let's move on. Romans 2, 14 through 15, just the next chapter down. Um, I got my small print Bible out to sit beside me at the computer. It says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. If you look at every single culture on planet Earth, with maybe no exceptions, um, everyone knows that it's wrong to murder, to take a life. And every culture has rules and laws about what happens if someone takes someone else's life. They're not all based on scripture. They're not all godly laws and rules. But if you look, the conscience of man knows that certain things are wrong, um, Genesis 1-1, again, about creation. We all know this. If you grew up in church, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Scripture is very clear that God is the creator. Let's look at Acts chapter 17, verse 24. If you are not able to look in your Bible right now, I hope you'll either come back to the podcast when you can, or if you're able to jot down some scripture references to look up later. Uh, the first two, again, were Romans 1, 18 through 20. And Romans 2, 14, and 15. And now we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. And verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. Okay, and then Psalm 19.1, just some extra scriptures about God as the creator as well as um, our conscience. Got to flip backwards. If you are not as familiar with your Bible, a um, little tool to help you find things, Psalms isn't directly in the middle of your Bible. You should, if you go straight to the middle, you should be able to find it. Psalm, I'm flipping backwards here. It's hard to put sticky notes in your Bible when the pages are so so thin. Okay, Psalm 19, there it is. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. All right, so those are some scripture just about creation and our conscience and God's universal revelation to all humankind about himself and about morality that can be seen in nature. 
I read this quote to you last time, but it's, it wor it's worth repeating. Um, C.S. Lewis said, Suppose there were no intelligence behind the universe. In that case, nobody designed my brain for the purpose of thinking. Thought is merely the byproduct of some atoms within my skull. But if so, how can I trust my own thinking to be true? But if I can't trust my own thinking, of course... I can't trust the arguments leading to atheism and therefore have no reason to be an atheist or anything else. Unless I believe in God, I can't believe in thought. So I can never use thought to disbelieve in God. That was C.S. Lewis. I don't know which book that's in, but I'll look that up for you. All right, let's talk about special revelation. Our special revelation in Christianity is the Bible. God's unique revelation about himself through the scriptures. Um, I was over in Psalm 19, and I've left my Bible open there, so I'll start there. There's a, a really good scripture about um, God's revelation through His Word. Psalm 19, same chapter, verses 17 through 11, or sorry, verses 7 through 11. The Bible says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Oh, two more verses. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. And that is Psalm 19, 7 through 11. And those of us who do know Christ know that the truth of that scripture. Um, 2 Timothy 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. So let me... Okay. I guess it's good when your Bible's falling apart, except when you're trying to flip pages really fast and read them to somebody on a podcast. All right, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm reading to you from the NIV. Um, you can look these up in any any version of the scripture, but um, NIV is, is very readable for, for the podcast. All right, and then the last one is John 1, 1 through 18. It's a longer passage of scripture, but it's so important because it shows that Jesus himself is the creator. Sometimes we don't think about that. We, we have that strong division between Old Testament and New Testament. And we um, sometimes, even as mature believers, we forget that Jesus is God and that he was there at creation. So I love, I love this passage. All right. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, 
and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. That was John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he whom I, of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. All right, that's just a, a part of John, but I love that passage because it makes it so clear that Jesus is God and was there at the beginning and is the creator because he is God. So the Bible was written over a period of 15 to 1600 years, 66 books, over 40 authors in three different languages, and yet it has complete unity, one theme. This would be impossible in any other book. Um, Josh McDowell and his son um, have written a number of apologetics types books together, but this quote comes from them. They said, when conservative Christian theologians say that the Bible is without error, they mean that when all the facts are known, the scriptures as they were penned by the authors in the original writings and as properly interpreted will be shown to be true and not false in all they affirm. This is, of course, the case if God is actually the author of scripture, which he is. And that's a very, very brief quote. There are books and books written on the subject, but the Bible, um, the things in the scriptures, the unity of the scripture is God's special revelation to us. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. So <clears throat> when I first started this study with you all, I mentioned that there was a book by a guy named Dr. Josh, Josh Mulvihill, and his particular ministry is helping children to develop a Christian worldview. In the world in which we live, that's becoming harder and harder to do. And one of the things he says in his book on pages 76 to 79 is that it's very important for us to help young people develop a very high view of the Bible. Um, I'm going to read just a couple of things to you from this. It says, It is no light matter what our young people believe and do with the Bible. It concerns the life of their soul. The Bible never becomes obsolete or outdated. It is always green, fresh, and new. It is a well that is never dry, a field that is never barren, and a mind that is never exhausted. It applies to the heart of every person in every country 
at every age and stage and at the very point and every point in history. He goes on to quote a theologian from the 19th century, um, J.C. Riley, who gives six reasons the Bible is valuable. And I just want to give you the reasons. There's explanation for all of them. But just in passing, as we move, move ahead in today's session, uh, I want to read those to you. So these are the six reasons that he says the, the Bible is so valuable to us as Christians. The Bible alone gives the true account of creation. The Bible alone gives a true and faithful account of man. And just to add to that, um, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat who we are. It has the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak. Use a cliche. Um, the third thing, the Bible alone gives us a true view of God. The next one, the Bible alone teaches us that God has made a perfect and complete provision for the salvation of sinful man. The next one, the Bible alone explains the state of the world. When we look around and we see all that's happening and we wonder how and why, the Bible is the only place where we can find a valid explanation for how things are the way they are now. And the last one, he says, the Bible alone gives an account of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Um, this is powerful stuff. I wish we had hours and hours and hours and days and days and days. But this is just a, a quick overview to just entrench ourselves and enrich ourselves in what do Christians believe so that as we go, go forward and, and compare other world religions, we, we understand what we believe. All right. These are the five kind of main points of the story of Christianity, that God is personal he has made himself known. He has created. Human beings are fallen, but God redeems us. Those are the five basics in the Christian story. The last time we got together, we talked about um, how God is personal, how the universe suggests that an intelligent, pers purposeful, personal designer brought it into existence. Um, I tell a quick story about visiting um, the animal kingdom in Disney. And I was standing waiting on a friend to ride a roller coaster. I'm not really fond of roller coasters. And I was standing in front of the anteater, the aardvark cage. And there, were, there were very, weren't very many people around. And I was watching it just, it is the strangest looking animal I have ever seen. And I watched him or her, I don't know which gender he, he or she was, but I was watching this animal thinking, how could anybody believe that some cosmic soup billions of years ago resulted in all of these different birds and animals and everything? And look at this. How can anybody not believe in God when they look at an anteater? And I started crying. I was so moved by that thought of how strange and unusual this animal was. And the, the people around me were starting to look at me funny because I was crying. But I, I was so moved by the fact that God is so creative and I got so excited about it. Um, the way we are created reveals something about the character of God. Genesis 1.27 says we are created in His image. God's characteristics may be fully independent of our understanding. In other words, we can't put God in a box and we may not understand everything about Him. His ways are higher than our ways. However, He 
took the trouble to reveal himself to us through his creation and through his word. What an amazing thing. So God is personal. He has made himself known to us. In creation, in our conscience, in scripture, God does not just reveal his plan. He reveals himself. When he expressed his thoughts, the universe came into being. Genesis 1-1, John 1-1. We've read both of those. He gave his word through the inspiration, through his inspiration, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to authors who copied it down, 1 Timothy 3.16. He has revealed himself to us through language as relational, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is in relationship with himself and wants to be in relationship with us, Matthew 28.19. Christianity is the only worldview in which God reaches out to us. That is powerful. When you're talking to someone of another faith, you're trying to share your faith, that is a powerful point to make. God has created. The Bible says that God has created that God created everything from nothing. He has called his creation good. He has called humans very good. He gives our existence meaning and value. He has given us work and relationships and marriage. He is personal. He's revealed himself. He has created. So a relational, personal creator created human beings, releasing them to relate and to create. And this is the foundation for everything. Human rights, social order, marriage, the framework for the good life. What does it mean to even live a good life or have a good life? He set the framework for that. So this is the part where we talk about sin. Human beings are fallen because of Adam and Eve in Genesis. We are fallen. Ignoring design breaks faith with the designer. The theological term for this is sin. And um, I wrote this down from Dr. David Nobles and Jeff Meyer's book, Understanding the Times. Sin, the smearing of a relationship, the grieving of one's divine parent and benefactor, a betrayal of one's partner to whom one is joined by a holy bond, breaking the law, breaking covenant with one's Savior. A quick missionary story here. I spent six years of my life in Japan. As a tentmaker missionary, I, I taught English, but I had a Bible club and, um, and a Bible study at my house. And something I learned while I lived there is that the Japanese language did not originally have a word for sin. The word that they had was sumi, which means crime. And so to talk to a Japanese person about Jesus Christ and to talk about our sin that separates us from God was a little puzzling because they would think to themselves, well, I haven't committed any crimes, so I must not be a sinner. And so the first missionaries that were allowed into the country of Japan around the 15 or 1600s, when they first opened the borders of their country to the outside world and traders and all that, the missionaries came in and they were trying to learn the language and get the Bible translated. And that was a challenge for them because there was no word for sin. And so um, it is still a challenge uh, when sharing the gospel in the country of Japan because of that. Anyway, I thought I'd share that. But we have to understand that we're sinners. We have to, or we don't see our need for a Savior. But again, because of what we've talked about, because of general revelation, because of our conscience, 
most people already know that that there is something not right and you can use God's word to take them the next step. So our conscience and God's word help us to understand that we are sinners and that we're separated in our relationship with God. Romans 2, 14 and 15, which I've already read to you, as well as Hebrews, if you want to write this one down, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. And then the Bible says, because of Adam and Eve, we are are born with a sin nature. I know we like to look at those precious little babies and think they're so innocent and perfect, but God's word says that when we are born, we have a sin nature. Those little babies have a sin nature. That's Romans 3.23. So the happy part of this is that God has a plan in place to redeem us. We have to understand our need. And it's important as we share our faith with others to communicate God's plan for salvation. Um, and that plan has been in place since, since the very first sin. Genesis 3.15, God already had a plan in place. Um, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He is referred to as the second Adam in Scripture. Um, this quote comes also from Dr. David Noble's book, but I love the way he worded this. He said, At the end of all things, according to Christianity... The serpent who said, take, eat in the garden, will be defeated by the Savior who said, take, eat in the upper room. That gave me chill bumps. That's on page 33 in his book. So God is personal. He has made himself known. He has created. Human beings are fallen and God redeems. So when we take a step back and we look at Christianity as a worldview, How does Christianity answer life's big questions? Is there a God? Check. Where did the universe come from? Where did we come from? Check. Why are we here? Check. What does the Bible say about humanity? It says we were very good. We were created in his image, but that we are fallen now and in need of redemption. So check. The Bible tells us about the nature of humanity. What happens when we die? The Bible is very clear about what happens when we die. Check. And what does the Bible say about how we should live? Is there a difference between right and wrong? Check. So the Bible, Christianity, answers all of life's big questions, the ones that I've mentioned in every session so far. And it answers them in a very satisfying clear and complete way. There is no gray area. It's clear. And so um, we can stand on our faith and we can stand on the scripture and and the general and the special revelation that God has given us. I want to talk about um, Paul. Acts chapter 17 is one of my favorite passages in scripture. It's it's hard to have a favorite, but Paul was educated. He was very well educated. And he took on the Epicureans, who were atheists and secularists. And he took on the Stoics, which were pantheists or new spiritualists, that's what we would call them today, of his day. He took these people on. He went to, in Acts chapter 17, I'm going to get my Bible open to that. Um, He was there... And he was looking at all the statues, the idols, and all the the people, uh, the, the, the gods that the people in Athens were worshiping. And he noticed that they really wanted to cover all of their bases. And so they actually had an altar dedicated to the unknown god. 
and he took that as a teaching moment, as a preaching moment, and he preached to those who were standing there, philosophers from all of these different other worldviews. And um, this is a quote from, from Dr. Noble's book. It says, He did not see Christianity as beyond reason or inaccessible to those unfamiliar with localized Jewish traditions. Paul countered their ideas with Christian ideas. He reasoned with them. He preached to them, and he accented three truths that many Christians would like to soft-pedal. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's in Acts 17, 18. God's creation of the universe, in verse 24. And then the judgment to come, in verse 31. Faith is important. It's an act of our will. But God has not asked us to follow blindly. Our faith is rational and defensible. So you, Christian, can be bold. And if you are not a believer, I hope you'll stick with us as we move through these comparisons um, and just listen, even just out of curiosity. And I hope that you'll find Jesus Christ through all this. So the question, what do you have to believe to truly be a Christian? What do you have to believe to be a Christian according to Scripture? The answer is this. You need to believe that Jesus Christ is God and that He paid your sin debt so that you could be in a right relationship with God and have eternal life. You must believe that He was your substitute because you cannot pay for your own sins. All other worldviews, all other religions... I won't say all other worldviews because there are some that don't believe there's a God at all, but the ones that do, all of the other religions that have any kind of God or supernatural being are about man trying to get to God, checking the boxes, doing the works, and trying and trying as hard as they can. But all you have to do to be a Christian, all you have to believe, I should say, to be a Christian is to believe that Jesus Christ is God that he paid for your sins so that you could be in a right relationship with God. There are lots of other beliefs and lots of doctrines tied to Christianity, but you can learn all of those after salvation through the Holy Spirit. This is called Christian growth. So we have to be careful as believers not to add things to Christianity, to belief, to faith in God that are not in Scripture. A lot of the things that we believe are very important. Don't get me wrong, those doctrines are very important. The virgin birth and the bodily resurrection of Christ and all of those things. But they're things that someone can understand and come to know once they have come to faith in Christ. That's part of their Christian growth. So some verses you can jot down for a reference. John 3.16, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Acts 4.12, Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That was the verse that I got saved with. Um, and Romans 1.16, they're just, faith is such a simple thing. It does not have to be so complicated. And we have to make sure that we don't complicate things for someone who is looking um, for God and trying to understand who Jesus is. Now, once we become Christians... Once that faith in, in Jesus Christ for the salvation and for forgiveness of our sins, once that peace is behind us, I do challenge you, Christian, if you are a Christian, do you really believe 
that God created the heavens and the earth, that Jesus was God in human form on earth, that Jesus literally physically rose from the dead, that the Bible as we have it today is God's inspired infallible word, and that all people will go to either heaven or hell after this life, depending on what they do with Jesus. Those are all scriptural things, and those are all doctrines that Christians who truly believe the Bible believe. So those are things you have to ask yourself, and I hope that as you grow in Christ, you will come to have um, an understanding of those doctrines that I just mentioned. An atheist named Christopher Hitchens had a debate a number of years ago with a very liberal Christian theologian. And when he tried to press some of these issues with that particular person whose name is not worth, I shouldn't mention it, but this is a quote from the atheist in this debate with a very, um, I guess the best way to express it as a liberal theologian or a liberal Christian. Um, He said, I would say, and this is the atheist speaking, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was Christ and Messiah and that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you are not in any meaningful sense a Christian. And that's coming from an atheist. So we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. That's very important. So how does Christianity compare to the other five dominant worldviews? This is just a quick, quick, quick. We're going to dig into all of these in future sessions. But just so you know, Islam, now Christianity, there are about 2 billion people worldwide who claim to be Christians. Whether or not they have a personal saving faith in Christ is debatable, but that's between them and God. Um, Islam is the second largest religion in the world, the second largest worldview in the world. 1.6 billion people worldwide are Muslim, and Muslims do believe in one God. They believe in moral absolutes. They believe in a life beyond this one. However, Muslims only accept certain portions of our scriptures, Moses and David. They acknowledge that Jesus was a prophet, but they believe Christians are blasphemers because we believe in the Trinity. They, they do not acknowledge sin the same way or see the need for a savior. And while, of course, we must learn to live together and we must love them and try to win them to Jesus Christ so that they can go to heaven, um, <clears throat> their worldview cannot answer life's ultimate questions. Next week, our session will be on Islam. We're going to start It'll probably take us two weeks to look into what Muslims believe. But um, the beliefs of Muslims and Christians are incompatible. When we get to secularism and Marxism, two additional worldviews we're going to be looking at, in their worldview, knowledge comes only from science, and they have what they believe is uh, the how, but they have no why. They have real no real explanation for why we're here or how we're supposed to live or what happens when you die. They just think you go back to the dirt and that's it. Um, New spirituality, if you're a little bit older, you may have heard it called the New Age Movement. Um, This affects millions of Americans. It's a softer version of Hinduism or Buddhism. It includes meditation and auras and chakras and crystals and yoga. Um, 
views God as an impersonal force or consciousness. However, we view God as a personal entity. Biblical faith is based on confidence and assurance, historical eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. New spirituality has kind of an all roads lead to God approach, whereas Christianity shows only one road leading to death and one road leading to life. And so um, we, we focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, sidebar, yoga is getting really popular as an exercise, and I get that. If you're a Christian, be super careful with that. Um, it just so happens that in the town that I used to live in, there was a precious Christian lady who had been um, who had not been saved, and she had been trained by a very um, well-known yoga trainer master person. Um, but because she became a Christian, she taught a yoga class. And instead of telling you to clear your mind and meditate and some of the things they tell you in a usual yoga class, she would quote scripture and pray during those times. And I thought it was great because you got the best of both worlds. Um, Anyway, the last one, the worldview that we're going to look at, probably the last, is postmodernism. And postmodernism considers truth to be particular to a person's language, community of origin, um, and their socially constructed self. The Christian worldview claims the existence of objective truth that can be known. So postmodernism is um, where we get that whole, oh, well, that's your truth, and this is my truth. Well, people, there's only one truth and the rest of it's wrong. So we just have to know what we believe and then look at what other people believe and be able to share our faith with them in a kind, respectful, gentle manner. Um, so this is our last session on Christianity. I hope you'll look up some of the uh, scriptures that I mentioned today, maybe go back and reread the ones I read and let's, um, we'll be looking at Islam next time. So I hope that you're benefiting from these sessions. I hope as a Christian that you're fi finding some equip equipping happening so that you feel a little bit bolder about sharing your faith and a little more confident in your faith. So until next time, Sharon Black, Sister Sunday School class in Hull, Georgia. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And if you're in our class and you've not been able to come, we miss you and we're praying for you. And um, we'll see you as soon as you can come back to us. All right. God's blessings. I hope God will bless you and make you a blessing to others. Thank you.